Welcome to the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. My name is Harold Nickel. Leadership in general and leadership in an agile setting may or may not have a number of similarities to each other. Most people would likely see leadership as kind of an eye of the beholder thing that it's hard to define and with a definition that will differ depending on who you ask. Is it the same for a leader in an agile environment? To learn this and more, we turn as always to Ren Melberg. So Ren, can you give us an overview of leadership in the agile environment and how it might differ from other leadership models? Sure. Um, That's an excellent question, and it starts with the Agile team, and no matter what type of Agile team we're talking about, they all have the same requirement, Excuse me, which is that they are self-organizing and self-managing. But in a traditional sort of industrial model, um, the manager organizes the team. They organize the work. Mm -hmm. They manage the team, right? Mm -hmm, Right. And so... I hope you can see there's an inherent conflict there, that traditional management is done by the Agile team, not by a manager. Right. Okay. So let's go on and talk about style or styles of management. What's going to work and what's going to not work? Sure. So... The two most common traditional industrial leaders, you know, manager styles, Mm -hmm. are the command and control. So it's the person who um, dictates who's going to do the work and how they do the work and dictates a strong word. But I'm deliberately being demonstrative. Right. (laughs) But they um, orchestrate and coordinate the work. Most of the time, they don't even tell other people on the team what's been assigned to other people, sometimes they do. And if they do, it's like in a project plan or a status report. You know, so it's buried, you know, in esoteric forms of communication mm-hmm. and what we call poll communication mm-hmm. where the person has to go out and get it. Right. Right? Oh. Versus push communication, which is you bring it to them. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we know about poll communications is they don't work. Not people typically. don't know to go out and get it, or people just don't do it, right? Right. Um, and so what happens is then that person, that manager, that command and control manager, becomes more commanding and more controlling. Mm-hmm. So that's one model. The other one is the subject matter expert. And that's the person who got to their position because they were an expert in a particular um, industry or domain knowledge or technical knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. and they got promoted up the ranks because of their that expertise. Right. And they continue to be that expert. Okay. And they don't foster anyone else being an expert because they're the expert, right? Right. And you can see that neither one of these are compatible with an agile team that's self-organizing and self-managing. Right. Because if no one on the team is allowed to be an expert, then they can't self-organize, can they? No. They're always having to go back to the subject matter expert mm-hmm. to get questions answered. If 
you have a command and control manager, then the team can't be self-managing, can they? No, not at all. Right. And so you see how these two deliberately kind of put in a little bit of an extreme, but you see how these two management styles will always undermine the Agile team. Yeah, I can. Um, So let's go look at what does work, because that was the other part of your question, right? Right, right, yeah. Um, And what we know from science is it's the servant leader model is the most successful as presented by Robert Greenleaf. Okay. And what this person does is they're all about developing their people and helping their people be self-organizing and self-managing. So they don't actually do the management. They don't do the organizing. They're not the subject matter experts. Mm-hmm. But they help to foster that in the people who work for them and to get the best out of their people. And that model works um, in reference to the there's sort of two models of workers, mm-hmm. industrial workers and knowledge workers. Mm-hmm. And industrial workers do things by rote. It's the same thing every day. You know, we can think of the assembly line, right? Doing mm-hmm. the same thing over and right. over. A knowledge worker rarely is physical labor. Um, it's it's all about your brain. And so your day is different, and it's all about, you know, the thought power. And what we found is that knowledge workers actually work better with servant leader managers as well. Hmm. Knowledge workers get frustrated with the command and control person. And we've all heard this. If you're going to tell me how to do it, if you're going to micromanage me, why don't you just do it? Yeah. And I'll go somewhere else and I'll do something else. That's a typical knowledge worker reaction to command and control manager. And then a knowledge worker, by definition, (laughs) wants to learn. So if you have someone who's the subject matter expert manager and is hoarding knowledge, the knowledge worker is going to get frustrated. I can't learn here. I have no growth here. Right. Why am I here? And they leave. Right? Yeah. Where the servant leader is there to delegate all the management to the people on the Agile team Mm -hmm. and to create opportunities for learning for everyone on the Agile team. And so you can see that knowledge worker gets their needs met. And we actually know from more science and more studies, Uh primarily by economists, by the way, we know that knowledge workers are then far more productive and successful in the servant leader model. Uh Yeah, I guess there's just something very stifling about the whole command and control model, don't you think? It is, but I also understand why it's comforting. Um, because if you're in command and, in a command and control model, um, then you're not having to make decisions and be accountable. Well, that's true, too. And it's the same thing with the subject matter expert. You can't be wrong if your manager is a subject matter expert and you're not. Right. So, so there, there is a reason why some people choose those managers. Really? Oh, okay, so they just, all I have to do is what I'm told and that's it. And I don't have to take accountability or responsibility for my work. I'll be. Right? Yeah, 
That's exactly right. You're exactly right. But those right. kind of people are incompatible with Agile. Right. Right? Because every <laughs> single person in an Agile environment has a degree of accountability and responsibility. And as we've learned from you, there's no hiding in Agile. There's no hiding in Agile. Okay. So is it is it possible to lead an Agile team that embraces teamwork and independence and work that's done in sprints with this um, command and control style of doing things? There's a perception and then there's a reality. Okay. And perception is never reality. Right? Perception by definition means that you're using your filters or your prejudice mm -hmm. to read reality. Okay, so there, it, it's never the same thing. And the perception is, and I worked with and I've coached so many command and control leaders, they, they perceive mm -hmm. that they have to be command and control because if they aren't, then the team won't get their work done. Yeah. What they wind up doing is chasing away their highest performers. Mm -hmm. And yep. so the work doesn't get done, or it doesn't get done as well. Um. The, so the reality is, no, command and control leaders are completely incompatible with Agile, mm -hmm. um, the, but those leaders absolutely perceive <laughs> that they're doing a great job, um, and it, it's difficult to move them off that, that mark. Um, they will never have the highest performing knowledge workers, because knowledge workers, like I said, the high performing people hate that they hate being micromanaged that's right they hate being told what they already know they hate being told they have to do something in the sprint when they know damn well it won't fit right right they don't like the lack of integrity and transparency that, that requires um and they also don't want to work 80 hours a week just because their manager says they have to get all this stuff done in the sprint mm-hmm they know better. What usually happens is that command and control managers wind up having very low-performing agile teams and teams that are actually look more scrumifall, as we like to call it, which yeah. is waterfall with agile names. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of one client in particular. Um, they went so far as to change the scrum master, you know, structure. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have real scrum masters on the teams. They had scrum um, leaders, I think they called them. Mm -hmm. And they reported to a scrum master who oversaw multiple teams. Mm -hmm. And the reason they did that is because they had one team doing the development and another team doing the testing, and that way the scrum master could see the full work product, but the scrum leaders couldn't. Oh. And there are people who are agilists who had just exploded. <laughs> because in agile, one of the other things is you eat your own food. Yes. You test your own code. <laughs> right? right. You got to eat you your own cooking. You pass the code to another team to test it. Right. That's insane, right? In agile, it's just like, pff, literally, heads just exploded. Right. Um, I hope happen. they were driving. 
But the manager who was leading this group thought, well, this is the perfect way to do it, and look at how how productive we are. We're getting lots of stuff done. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is they were getting lots of stuff done. They weren't getting the highest priority, highest business value stuff done. They were just getting right. lots of stuff done. And that happens a lot, too, in command and control environments because in the SME environments, too, the subject matter expert managers too because the team won't commit to doing the hard stuff Mm -hmm. let's shift gears a little bit and kind of take the same question but at a different at a different scale would or will an agile team be successful at a bigger place in a larger organization where they report up through a traditional line of command and control for a while, and this is one of the things I've been working with other um, agilists to measure. Um, and what we found is they'll be successful for about eighteen to twenty-four months, mm-hmm. and then the behaviors will revert back to traditional waterfall mm-hmm. behaviors um, on the teams, because if that's what your board or that's what your executives are doing, mm-hmm. traditional project management and waterfall, mm-hmm. right? Then that is your governance model, and that's how people are rewarded and recognized and compensated. Right. And so that's what people are going to eventually revert back to every time. So it's very much a you-get-what-you-pay-for model. Absolutely. That's why I call that one of those, the laws of the universe. There aren't very many things that are universally true, mm-hmm. but you get what you pay for as well. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Every single time. So it sounds like there's lots of leadership challenges that come with Agile. What is a good first thing for a new Agile leader to do or to consider? Really take a look at what is your role as a manager of people in an agile environment. And we talked about the servant leader model very um, slightly. We'll get into it a little bit more. And and basically what we know about knowledge workers, for Mm -hmm. them to be successful, they need three things. Okay. They need purpose. So why the hell are they doing that? Right, yeah. What is the most important question in Agile that has to be answered? Why? Mm-hmm. Why? As Agile coaches, we say that all the time. Don't tell me the how. I want to hear the why. Why are we doing this? Well, it's because we need to know the purpose mm-hmm. as knowledge workers. The yes. second is autonomy. Well, <laughs> what do we have a lot of? In Agile, we have a lot of autonomy. You're self-managed, you're self-directed on your team, right? Right. Um, And then the last one is mastery. People want to be really good at things, Mm -hmm. especially the things that they enjoy. Sure. Um, And this is one of the things that Agile tries to create some forcing factors for. Right When we look at Scrum XP and Safe and Lean, all of them really are trying to create ways for team the team, 
first to master things mm-hmm. and the uh, individual team members to become masters at things, right? Right. It's one of the reasons why we have the term Scrum Master. By the way, that's not a mistake. Because mm. we want them to master Scrum. And Absolutely. share that mastery with their team members. Right? Right. So, when we think about what it takes to help knowledge workers be their most productive and their most successful, that's how you, that's how you should form your leadership style, is to support that. So, how can I make sure that they have a sense of purpose? Well, that's making sure that everybody understands the strategic initiatives and imperatives of the company. Who's the customer? Everybody can name the customer. They they understand the customer's experience. They understand why the customer cares. Why do they want our products? Uh Why do they want our products versus someone else's products? It is amazing to see people's body language change when their leader, especially their direct leader, and it's very different between the executive saying this is why, this is the purpose of the company versus their direct manager, by the way. Direct uh-huh. manager, so much more powerful. Right. So much more meaningful. If the direct manager says, this is our purpose, this is why we're here, this is why we want you here. Right. Whoa. Right? Most very few managers ever even think to have that conversation. The second one is what are you doing to foster autonomy and helping this person be self sufficient? Mm-hmm. And are you fostering autonomy? How many times do you ask them for status reports? If you're asking them to report status back to you, you're undermining autonomy. Right. Ask them what value they created. And ask them to show you. Demo it. That's such a better question. It is really, right? It's just better. And and I, I think back to the very first servant leader I ever worked for, um, back at American Express, actually. Mm-hmm. And when I would come to my one-on-ones, he would ask me to bring my work product with me and show him what I did. I demoed it. Years later, I went, oh, my God, he was having me demo my work. Uh And he would ask me questions. What did you like about doing this? How did it make you feel? Wow. He would look for signs of whether or not it excited me or whether or not it bored me to tears. Right? Right. (laughs) We would talk about it. That's the mastery part. So you find out what excites the people who work for you, right? Right. And you help them master that. He figured out what excited me, how much I love process Mm -hmm. and getting things done effectively and well, doing high-quality work. So he steered me away from traditional IT Mm -hmm. and into what I'm doing today. Yeah, that's that's really... Amazing, and you were so lucky that you had such a such an enlightened servant leader. Um, and I I could go on for days about the downside of micromanaging, but <laughs> well, it is so funny, you know, how often I go into a client, and you'll hear 
the managers themselves say how much they hate micromanaging, being micromanaged and ma- micromanaging others. And yet that's what they spend 80% of their day doing. <sighs> and they just don't know how to break the cycle, I think, in some cases, and what to yeah. replace it with. So you think about um, uh, addiction, mm-hmm. counseling. What we know is the best way to break a bad habit is to replace it with a good habit. Uh-huh. So that's what I do a lot of when I'm doing training and managers on how to be successful people managers in an agile environment is I, I literally say, okay, when you have the desire to do this, do this instead. <laughs> huh, that's, that's really good advice, yeah. So you replace a bad habit with a good habit. So whether it's micromanaging or smoking cigarettes, replace it with I'm glad you brought up the cigarette thing. Because I had one manager who was just so, so stuck uh, in his micromanaging. I'm sorry, I just started laughing to myself. Because I went so far as to put a rubber band on his wrist. Just like smoking. So, you know, every time you want a cigarette, you 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 would, you know... Pull back your van, yeah. right, and pop yourself with it, right? Every time he had the desire to micromanage someone, I would have him do that. And at the end of the first day, his the inside of his wrist was bright red. Oh man! And it was, and he only had to do it the one day. It was this huge aha moment for him. And he also said he had invited his people to whenever he was micromanaging them. If he didn't do it, they could do it. Wow. Or they would tell him, you need rubber bands, <laughs> right? Yourself. He said it really, really brought it home to him how much he was doing this and how much he was inadvertently, because it's never intentional. No manager wants their people to not be successful. That's right. Okay. And, and I know there are, and I hear workers say that all the time. My manager is undermining me. They just don't understand. You know, we've all heard it. Mm-hmm. It's never intentional. I've yet to meet a manager where it was intentional. Yeah, I, when you first started um, with that example, I thought you were going to say, instead of micromanaging, I made him start smoking. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> As a born and raised Minnesotan, I'm going to say no. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. No, no, we, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now... When I was, um, you know, getting ready for the for the podcast, and when I study the various roles for agile team members, the roles of program manager, project manager, integration manager, scrum master, tech lead, on and on and on, it sounds to me like everybody is a leader on the agile team because that's what their titles all seem to indicate. But on the other hand, if everyone is in charge, then no one is in charge. How do we, or how do you answer Reconcile that? that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Here's the truth, and one of the things that I do that, that is a differentiator, I'm very, I'm, I, I own that I am different when it comes to training uh, than, say, the Scrum Alliance or the Scaled Agile Institute or others. Okay. When I train people in Agile, I train everyone to be a servant leader. Okay. 
because I firmly believe that in an agile environment, everyone is a leader, to your point, mm-hmm. and everyone, to be a good leader, needs to be a servant leader. Okay? The difference <clears throat> is, I also feel that in agile, and in agile we do, we have an extraordinary amount of respect for roles. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's why we tend to be kind of prescriptive about the roles. So w- there's a huge differentiator between Scrum Master and a Product Owner, for example. Right. Those right. are very different roles because they're bringing very different skills. And one of the things I've done with my clients, and I, I've played with this idea of, of publishing it, and I've done a racy matrix. So, you know, responsible, accountable, communicate, inform. I do now. Or consult, inform. <laughs> yes. Um, I've done that for the different agile um, ceremonies and what each role is in that ceremony. Okay. And I've done it, use it as a tool, and it's not, it's not to be prescriptive. It's just a tool for people to understand at a given moment when someone's in charge, as you said. So we think mm-hmm. of, like, take the life cycle of a user story, okay? Okay. Customarily, uh, most user stories are going to be written by the product owner, not all, right? Because mm-hmm. anybody on a Scrum team can write a user story. Right. But most of them are going to be written by the product owner, okay? okay. The product owner owns the backlog, is it in a vacuum? Absolutely not. The, the product owner has to bring to bear stakeholder information mm-hmm. and needs to prioritize the backlog. They also need to talk to the Scrum team to prioritize the backlog. The Scrum team is going to know technical things that are going to impact the prioritization of that backlog. Okay. Every single time. Um, and the product owner has to do that. So you see how but the product owner makes the final decision. Yes. So you see, just on, just on the backlog, you have a plethora of people who are being consulted and informed, but you still have one person who's accountable. And you have one person who's responsible, which is the Scrum Master. The Scrum Master has to make sure that that pack, backlog is staying groomed or refined. Right. right? So you, you see how, and that's a leadership role of the Scrum yes. Master too, Right. Those are being consulted. That's a leadership role. That's definitely a servant leadership role, right, when you're right. consulting. Um, so, and for the people who need to stay informed, some of the stakeholders, etc. right? Right. So just one simple thing, you can see how each role has a different racy responsibility, you know, role, mm-hmm. right? And each of them are casting servant leadership in that role, but one person is still ultimately accountable. Okay. Right? And everybody, and I, and I think it's helpful, it's been helpful in my experience, to go through that exercise. Um, there's an, a, scrum, a scrum training exercise called a Herculean Donut, um, for example, that's very good at talking about these roles and responsibilities, on a scrum team in an mm-hmm. agile organization and how they differ depending on 
what ceremony we're talking about or what agile activity we're talking about and where we are in that life cycle too. Um, but it, and it's and I think it's very helpful to understand the why. <laughs> Come back to that. Why, why for each of these activities and why for the different roles and and how they fit. But you're right, there is a danger that if we don't have these conversations and we say everybody's a servant leader, then it Mm -hmm. gives the perception that everyone's in charge, therefore no one's in charge. But your explanation um, helps helps illuminate what's really intended behind that in terms of team roles and team members but let's let's kind of flip that over because a lot of times individuals people will self-select out of leadership roles they'll choose to not participate in a leadership role at work or in the neighborhood or their communities i'm going to guess and it's only a guess that an agile and agile it's the same so should we respect people who want to opt out of those agile leadership roles or should we try to convince them that they would be good leaders or, like you say, servant leaders in agile? Right. So let's peel this back a little bit. First of all, everybody in agile is a servant leader to some degree or not another, oh. right? Okay, yep. Um, I think what we're trying to differentiate here is people who lead people, who have direct support. Yes. Not everyone is geared to to your point to be a leader of people. And they don't want to be. Right. And they shouldn't have to be. We should understand that person's leader should understand the why. Because let's be honest, if it's a fear based thing, mm-hmm. you want to unpack that. And especially if you think that your employee has potential to be a good people leader, you're probably gonna want to unpack that fear. And, and see if it's something they're willing to resolve. Yeah. Um, but so, most of the time, it's just someone loves being a developer, for example, and love being an architect. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be a people leader. Well, guess what? There aren't enough roles in an organization for everybody to be a people leader anyway. So you really just want the people who are good at it and want to do it. And people, overwhelmingly, human beings, very predictable. Mm-hmm. If they love something, they're probably going to be good at it. Oh, yeah. It's very rare that people love doing something and they suck at it. Okay, don't let American Idol auditions be your guide. (laughs) 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 Those people are in love with something. They're obsessed with something. They've got some weird delusion going on. Mm. That's a different conversation. Yeah, I was thinking of And those that we have in the real world. Right, in the real work world. And you see it all the time. So I gave you the example of my first uh, manager, who's a servant leader. He looked for the things that he could tell I really liked. Yeah. Because he knew those were the things he's going to be really good at. And the thing is, we have an age-old model for knowledge companies that we don't use. (laughs) It just, like, cracks me up. Mm-hmm. Accounting firms and law firms and medical practices are very old knowledge industries. All of them, for 100 years or longer in some cases, have had a bifurcated model. They have a people leadership track and they have an individual contributor track. Okay. 
And the people who are really good at leading people and want to lead people, they're in that track. And the people who just want to be, not just, but they want to focus on being an expert, right, or an individual right. contributor, they're in that track. So I think of a friend of mine who's at a law firm, hates leading people, mm-hmm. hates all of it, but he loves intellectual property law. Yes. It's his passion. He is a partner now. He has oh. no direct reports. None. A good friend of his, also a partner, loves leading people. Loves the law, but really, he loves leading and developing really great lawyers. I mean, seriously, you can see mm-hmm. the joy and the passion on his face. He loves it. Just like my yeah. friend, don't ever get it him started on intellectual property because he won't get off of it. <laughs> right? right, yeah. <laughs> he loves it. He's fascinated about it. He, he can tell you all the differences between intellectual property law and China and what does that mean for American companies. Oh, seriously. <laughs> he goes yeah. hours. And he does. He speaks all over the world about this. Okay, That's his passion. And law firms have had this model for a long time. And what we're now looking at is the more you know, the traditional corporate structure, right? Uh-huh. They're starting to look at that and go, wait a minute, that's what we should be doing. Right. So my friend is the IP attorney. <clears throat> mm-hmm. He has people matrixed into him and report uh-huh. to him for certain cases and stuff, but he doesn't do any of their people leadership. Okay. None of it. The people who are really good at it, they're the ones who do it. It is such an important thing for companies. People leadership really is your biggest defining characteristic. Because your people are your most expensive investment. Yes. Okay. Do you really want to trust your most important investment with people who don't want to be doing that job? Yeah, that's... Of course not. That's crazy. But we do it all the time. We do it every day, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is really about looking at what is the best way, so back to our, our governance topic, right? What mm-hmm. is the best way to protect that investment for your stakeholders? And it's to put people in people leadership roles who really want to be great people leaders. Mm-hmm. And, and put people who are great subject matter experts or individual contributors into those roles. Stop making people who are great subject matter experts lead people. Mm-hmm. It's bad for everybody. <laughs> Without a doubt. Now, I, but I want to follow on with it because, um, you know, we talked about, you know, people who self-select out of people leadership and I totally got your answer. But then there's also those who really have absolutely no business at all leading people or anything else, any time for any reason. They shouldn't lead an Agile team. They shouldn't lead this local scout troop. They should not be allowed to organize a trip to the bathroom, okay? But it's just, <laughs> but it just seems like those are the ones who will always insist on being leaders and are going to drive everybody else right out the door. Right. So I'm hoping because what that they're really seeking is usually... Promotion, prestige, those kind of things. The 
Thomas Theater Show. And that's where having the knowledge company model is so helpful. Okay. Um, Because the people who are subject matter experts or individual contributors follow the exact same promotion track Mm -hmm. as people leaders. Okay. Um, So I look at, we're seeing more and more of this actually in financial services. Mm -hmm. So you can see, you will see actually, vice presidents, senior vice presidents, executive vice presidents, in, in financial services that have no people leaders, or no people, excuse me, no mm-hmm. direct reports. They are in a purely individual contributor role. Okay. And so that's where you can funnel all that ambition mm-hmm. for people who should not be leading people. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Um, in that model. But you can see in the, tip, in the traditional industrial model, why that happens. Yes. And how yeah, it's like, it is. Yeah, it's like you say that it's for promotion. It's not for a love of people Leading leadership. people, right. And people leadership should be really focused on, I love leading people. And they should be strategic people, mm-hmm. right? Being strategic is something that we have not yet figured out how to teach people. Mm-hmm. You're either strategic or not right now. People are trying to figure it out. Someone will crack the code. Yes. We just haven't yet. (laughs) That's why I keep saying yet. Um, But, you know, the people leadership track, they're also the people who are strategic. The individual contributor track sometimes are strategic, but most of the time they're more tactical. They're more full. So you think about a CEO is thinking about the growth strategy. What do we need to, where does our growth strategy need to be to continue to be competitive? Mm -hmm. And he may hand off a portion of that to someone who's the head of merchants and acquisitions who's an individual contributor and say, okay, we know we need to go buy some competitors to achieve this growth strategy. Mm -hmm. See the difference? And that may look to some degree strategic, and it may be, um, so when that M&A person starts to break down the market, where are we going to target these these acquisitions? That There's going to be some strategic elements to that. But for the most part, that role is going to be much more about execution. Okay. Does that make some sense? It does. Sense? So you've got the why. It stays in the, usually, typically is in that people leadership chain. Mm-hmm. The what crosses over into the individual contributor. Okay. I have to remind myself that you and the audience can't, can't hear me nodding, but yeah, that, that, <laughs> that does uh, make sense. So mm-hmm. let's, let's uh, talk about team members for the leaders and the importance of knowing the team members beyond mere acquaintance. Should, should the people leader read performance reviews or ask team members to take a personality test or is there something that kind of falls in the middle of getting to know your team better? I really think um, we do a lot of team building exercises that Mm -hmm. come out of Scrum um, to help the agile teams know each other Mm -hmm. better. 
And there's a lot of science about that we've talked about in other podcasts about team cohesion and why that's so important. Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to productivity. The more cohesive a team, the more productive they're going to be and a higher quality. Um, the same thing is true for people leader and the people that are, people that are leading. If you're people, so cohesion is I want to be on this team. Okay. Right? Right. And I want to be on this team for a long time. As a good people leader, that barometer for you mm-hmm. is do your people want you as their leader? Okay. Because remember, this, is, this isn't an indentured servitude. Any of us can quit our jobs at any time. Well, that's right. Right? And Because and, and, our time is an investment in, in right. our work. Right? And it's a huge investment. It's about one-third of our life we spend working. So it's a huge investment. The only other thing we invest as that much time in is sleep. Hmm. Right? So it's yeah. a huge investment. That's a lot. Yeah. And so do people want to work for you? And so you think about what are, what are the exercises we do to build team cohesion? Are you doing that with your direct reports? Okay. And going back to the first servant leader I ever worked for, and I do this still to this day because I learned it from him, um, was when we would do our one-on-ones, first of all, he was religious about one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. He did not reschedule your one-on-one. Huh. What a huge, strong, unique statement from your leader that you, your one-on-one is really important to them. That's exactly right. There's a lot of people whose heads just exploded. Yeah. <laughs> because they want my one-on-ones get rescheduled all the time. Yeah. To me, I look for that and I ask about it because to me that says that there's not an investment in people leadership. One-on-one should be considered sacred, like vacations. Yes. Right? So if they're getting rescheduled or they're not being held on a regular cadence, at least no, more, no less frequently than every two weeks, mm-hmm. once a sprint, <clears throat> there's a problem. There's a there's not investing in people leadership. They're investing in something else. Okay. Um, but the most successful one on ones, believe it or not, I like to call them walking one on ones. Yeah. And it's where you take your people and you go for a walk and you talk. Huh. Neurobiology time. <laughs> so we talked about this a long time ago. What does it mean to physically be a genius? It means that you're using both hemispheres of your brain at the same time for problem solving or for assessment, right? Yep. What happens when you're walking, so physical movement, mm-hmm. and you're doing an intellectual activity? Yeah. You're using both sides of your brain at the same time. Right. This is why sitting and learning doesn't work as well as getting people, the Montessori pro system is all about getting kids up and moving them around and having them physically move while they're learning hmm. because we know they learn more right. when they're moving physically, right? Right. Rote physical activity doesn't work, by the way. So if you're just on a treadmill, it mm-hmm. doesn't work. Uh. <laughs> doesn't. You, have to, you have to be moving around a lot more than that. Okay. So all these people who are just listening to this on their treadmill went, oh, sorry. Well, I have a treadmill. <laughs> it's the same as just listening to it. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's no bump in learning. Um, but so think about it. You're, you're doing a walking one-on-one, and both of you are creating 
using neurobiology, using your brain Mm -hmm. to learn more about each other. And what I've found is um, people actually open up, they relax when they're walking, and especially compared to sitting on opposite sides of a desk from each other. Um, That's some very powerful body language there you have the oh, desk yeah. is this barrier or you have a conference table is this barrier between the two of you but when you're walking somewhere together it's very different um, so it's, it, I just gave that as an example mm-hmm. of the things that a servant leader tools a servant leader can use to learn about their team mm-hmm. learn about the people who report to them and for their people to learn about them Right. It needs to be go both ways um, and build that cohesion on your team. Right. To me, the most flattering thing I've ever been told is the number of people who've said to me that they would work for me again in a heartbeat. Boy, that's powerful. <clears throat> it should be. Right? And mm-hmm. and to have people, in, and I've changed industries, as you know, mm-hmm. and to have them still say that like wow okay that's awesome and i was doing something right as a people leader that's that's an extraordinary compliment um now with the time we've got left tell us the worst leadership story you've ever experienced and <laughs> yes please name names and we want dates and locations <sighs> i can't tell oh so many <laughs> <laughs> um most of them, and we, we haven't talked about this for a while, but one of the things, everybody in change management, doesn't matter what kind of change management you're doing, but everybody in change management knows is middle management, so managers and directors in a traditional hierarchy, mm-hmm. um, that's where change goes to die. Mm-hmm. Right? And yes. So most of my horror stories involve some sort of middle management. Um, and most of them command and control folks. Those are the ones that really get the most um, out of sorts in an agile transformation. Yep. And I've had some revert to some pretty nasty negative behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been called the C word. Oh. The B word. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> some nasty words. Yeah. And all of this because they're they've they're out of control. Mm-hmm. Agile feels chaotic. It's not at all. It's actually more predictable than right. traditional management and traditional project management, right? It's extremely more predictable. Yeah. And more most organizations are seventy five percent more predictable. Mm-hmm. Um you know, somewhere between sixty and seventy five percent. But it feels chaotic to command and control managers. Mm-hmm. So one of them who actually called me the C word. Um, Mercy. We set up an agile release train. We got everybody going. They did their, their we did the, the big room planning, right? And this is multiple teams. Mm-hmm. They're cross-functional teams. So different applications are represented on each team. So each team could take a feature and deliver it start to finish without going to another team. So this is ideal. This is this is like, yay, this is exactly how we want it, right? Mm-hmm. right. We're the second day into the sprint. 
Um, he looks at the sprint plans for the teams and says, why is so-and-so doing that? It shouldn't be that. And he starts moving his people around the team. Undermining the team. Right. And so the release train engineer went, okay, now we have to replan. So they spent another day. All the teams had to replan their sprints. Mm-mm-mm. Because you have different people on the team now. <laughs> right. Team comes. And so he went, this director, actually, went to another director and said, hey, did you know that so-and-so was doing this work? And he encouraged her to do the same thing. So we're in day five of this of a two-week sprint. Mm-hmm. And the teams haven't done any work, and they've done their sprint plan three times. Man. And that is probably the most extreme. And he kept doing it, by the way, until I went, you guys really don't want to do this agile stuff. Right. Um, Yeah. And uh, (laughs) just said, come on, be honest. (laughs) Save us all time and trouble and money. And money, yeah. Um, and they and they did go back to water. Well, they did scrum or fall. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had quote agile teams, but it was all waterfall mm-hmm. behavior. Um, and and sometimes and in that case, there was no executive sponsorship for the transformation. Right. And a lot of consultants just went, oh, I understand, Ren. <laughs> if you don't have executive sponsorship for an agile transformation, then there's a point in which you, you just have to cut bait. Yeah. Um, you know, like we say, middle management is where tra- change management goes to die. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have an executive who's going to come in and say, no, you're going to do this. You're going to figure this out. You're going to learn how to be a different manager in this world. We're going to make this work. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, good consultants will just say, you know what, I'm going to back slowly away. Yeah. And and let you guys do what you really want to do. Right. So this is, that was a sad note. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and that's okay. I mean, it, it, the thing is, is um, most organizations go into these with great uh intention sure um and the thing was that he couldn't see how his own behavior was so destructive yeah um and there wasn't you know as a consultant there's only so much you can do that's right right and you just got to not take it personally you got to understand this is where being a servant leader as a consultant is so important you have to understand what's really going on with them Mm-hmm. It's scary. Yes, he was lo- he was feeling like he was losing command and control because he was. Mm-hmm. It felt chaotic to him. Yep, he was responding in a way that, in a traditional project management world, waterfall world, mm-hmm. would have worked, would have been actually rewarded. Mm-hmm. It's just that in an agile world. That just makes things worse. Yes. And so, you know, as a consultant, you just kind of take that in, give them the feedback as diplomatically as you can, and try to help them see it in a fact way. And help they'll come out on the other side. And if they don't, you don't own that. Right. 
I always tell people, and I have clients all the time, just tell us what to do. <laughs> I'm your consultant. I can't make decisions for you. Right. I can present to you best practices. I can present to you the science. Because mm-hmm. you know, you guys know I love the science. Absolutely. I can present. I can present to you the art. Mm-hmm. I can give you a recommendation. But ultimately, you have to make the decision, and you have to actually do the work. Yes. And that's my servant leadership, right? right. I'm giving you your purpose, your autonomy, and I'm showing you the path to mastery. Yeah. Well, that's so well said. And, you know, there there is a great deal to be said about the soft qualities of being a leader. And most of those kind of fall under the umbrella of interpersonal skills. And there's a lot of really well thought out process with Agile. But it was also nice to hear that there's also a place for things like empathy, respect, collaboration, and the servant model that mm-hmm. that you talked about. Yeah, so quickly, the, the books that people should check out if they want to learn more about this is Servant Leadership by okay. Robert Greenleaf. Okay. Um, Leading Change by uh, John Cotter. And if you want to know about motivating knowledge workers, mm-hmm. um, there's a great video on YouTube um, animated by RSA, and it's... Um, a summarization of Daniel Pink's book, uh, Drive. Okay. And Daniel Pink is the one speaking, and RSA did the animation. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great video. So those are the three things that if you... I think the three most important, there's other resources I could lead you to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those are probably the three most important resources um, about learning how to be a really great Agile leader. And we'll put links to those, of course, on uh, Ren's website, which is com. And in addition to that, by the time you hear this, there will be a couple of new position papers that Ren has written that you'll be able to download. And, of course, downloads are easy. And um, like everything on her website, it's free of charge. And again, her website is com. And be sure to join us again next week for another edition of The Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg.